Yeah, this is Pat from Down, and you're listening to Rock and Metal Podcast. This is the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with me, Dr. Fuck, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. So come on and let's go and enjoy another episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Hey! That's right, it's me, Dr. Fuck! With me always is. Oh yeah! That was a loud one. Was that what was that like a big wide mouth beer there, Ian? <laughs> Just a regular rolling rock in the can. Ian Wadley from Wadzilla Land. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Hello. I'm pretty good. What's going on, Ian? Well, uh, we've got a new iTunes review since the last time we talked, and uh this this, this completes the rating system for us because there was wait wait hold on all right go ahead <laughs> uh this completes the rating system for us because there's one thing we were lacking in our ratings and reviews and that was a three-star review we, we finally got a three-star review so we've covered the whole gamut we have 62 five stars one four and a half one three two twos and one one <laughs> you said two <laughs> like doo-doo. <laughs> uh, well, apparently this guy can't make up his mind if he loves us or we're doo-doo. Oh, and, so we got, we got like Sybil leaving us a fucking message. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't quite figure this guy out. All right. Uh, his, his name is Blind Guardian Best Band Ever. Well, maybe that's a chick. You never know. I like that band, yeah, by yeah. the way. Blind Guardian's coming my way. I've seen him once before. Great fucking band. You know Blind Guardian? They're, they're, they're power metal, right? Yeah, yeah. They're really good. I, I have their stuff, and I haven't even listened to it yet. Check them out, man. They're awesome. Will do. Well, he leaves us a three-star rating, or he, he or she, or he, she. You know, you can't count anybody out in this era. Just call uh, Sybil. A three-star. Sybil. A three-star review rated, it's okay. <laughs> and he says, and I quote, I've been listening to this podcast for about one week so far. It's pretty good. The Robert Fleischman interview was amazing, and I really wish they would take that approach a little more. I also like the album review shows. I find myself disagreeing with these guys more than I agree with them. The guys are very funny at times, and very annoying at times. (laughs) When they get into bashing people they hate, I want to turn it off. When they go into full hate mode... You really want, or, or was it? Okay, I'm sorry. When they get into full hate mode, you really don't get why they hate. They just yell and curse. It's very insult comic like. After listening to the show for a week, I still don't know why they hate Hagar, Daisley, or Three Sides. I'm far from the biggest Three Sides fan, but I've been listening to that show for a long time. And what these guys say about it is not accurate at all. By the way, I gave three sides a three-star rating, too. Overall, I like the show. The chemistry between the two guys is great, and they really love hard rock slash metal. I'm going to continue to listen, but I can only listen in doses. So, uh, that's it. Well, I, 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 I got something to say. That review he just okay. gave, I, I give that review three stars. I mean, it's okay. 
I like I like the part where he talks like the positive stuff, how he liked the Robert Fleischman reviews. But you know, the part where he says, you know, that we hate and stuff, I just feel like stop reading at that point. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you can tell this guy uh, I, I think what is, and he does say that he disagrees with us more than he agrees. And I think basically he doesn't like that we're hating on something he likes. And, you know, on the rare occasion we do get an off-color review, uh, I, I click on him and I see what their other reviews are. Now, he said he gave three, star, uh, three sides a three-star rating. That is not true. He gave them a four-star review. But the title of his review for the Three Sides of the Coin was entitled 80s and 90s Kiss Owned 70s Kiss. Oh, boy. Well, you see, there I can understand how he, he disagrees with us. But you yes. see, here's the thing. Um, I kind of applaud this guy. I mean, even the stuff he didn't like, and okay, we annoy him at times, but he's still listening, okay? So you got to give him that. And he does appreciate certain aspects of our podcast. So I look at his review as two thumbs up, even though one of his thumbs are down, but I refuse to look at that thumb. I look at the thumb all the way up, and thank you, Blind Guardian is an amazing band. What's the name of his name again? Blind Guardian, uh, best band ever. Okay, I, see, there we disagree again. <laughs> Blind Guardian, there ain't no Black Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love Blind Guardian, though, by the way. And I'm going to go see them soon. I'm psyched they're coming to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, we've had worse bad reviews, but uh, obviously we just made fun of something he liked and it left him a little butt hurt. But uh, it's, it's, it's constructive criticism, but it's kind of like his construction would be like, uh, uh, we'll bring the fucking wrecking ball on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. I appreciate the review. Actually, as 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 half and half that review is, I kind of like it more than I don't. You know what I mean? Well, that's the first time I got a half and a half and didn't come. So, yeah. <laughs> I I give it two thumbs down for being indecisive. Make up your mind. You you can't get a little pregnant. You either love us or you hate us. Well, kids, let's get back to the news like this is a regular review. And uh, our first story, hot off the press, <laughs> this just came out a couple hours before we started recording. Charlie Benente said that uh, For All Kings could quite possibly be the last Anthrax <laughs> album. Really? Yeah, oh, you didn't read the story, huh? Oh, no, I haven't been online today. All right, well, I'll break it down for you. Um... He just, he made it sound like uh, running out of inspiration. And I can vouch for that because I listened to the album. Yeah, me and, too. And he, he, you know, he gave a couple analogies. He said, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, a team wins the Super Bowl and then they come back the next year and they're shit because they lost half the team and all this shit. He goes, I'm not saying we're losing any members, but he goes, you know, there's got to be inspiration there. And uh, I, I, for one, would hate for this to be the last Anthrax album because uh, I don't really care for it. So I don't want to see him go on, on a bum note because I love Anthrax in every incarnation. You know, uh, you know, I love the John Bush era. I love the Joey stuff. Uh, I like Fistful of Metal, you know. Uh, um, but this last album, to me, and, I, you know, of the two of us, I'm definitely more of an Anthrax fan. And I think you liked it more than me. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I actually did. And I don't really like the album, but there was a few tracks I did like, and 
I liked a couple more tracks than you did. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's because because I'm such a big fan. I think that's why my disappointment because you expected shit. Yeah, and I expected something better. So I, I I was actually more let down than you were, and uh, I, I hope this isn't the end. But it's not. It's not. Look, look. It's not. Charlie Pinante is like the the Gene Simmons of thrash. He knows where his bread is buttered. He can say whatever the fuck he wants now. But when comes the time when 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 you know the, the the money's running out and shit like that, they're gonna go back and do another Anthrax album so they can put a couple more thousand in in the bank. Um. I, yeah, I, if, if if he divorces this chick, he keeps beating up. No, uh, yeah, no, it's the other way around. Yeah. Oh, she beat him up? Yeah, that's actually a true story. He never beat her up. She beat his ass. <laughs> Charlie, beat the beat. Beats the beat you beat. My wife kicked my ass in the middle of the street. Oh, that is Lord. A true story. She's hot as fuck, too. Oh, well, well hats off to Roy Harper. Yeah. All right. Now, now, here's a story that really made me sad because, uh, you know, we can flip this. You know, Death Magnetic was an album I loved far more than you. Poser uh, metal. Yeah, you really didn't like it. That album, uh, Poser Thrash. Yeah, to me, uh, aside from two tracks, I hated, of course, Unforgiven 3. And I really, uh, well, I mean, they were both horrible. I hated this single that day that never comes or whatever the fuck it was i don't know it's horrible but i enjoyed the rest of the record uh and you hated it well now they are done with their new album and they're in the mixing stages and <laughs> a story today on blabbermouth that just like maybe i'm focusing my hate in the wrong direction but uh they said lars just did a photo shoot of his model wife uh modeling these jeans that are inspired by Metallica. There is a new line of Metallica jeans. Oh, God. Yes, and it's not just Metallica. They're inspired by 80s jeans and the 80s jeans look. And I looked at the pictures he took, and oh, yes, his wife is beautiful. You know, I, I, Sorry, I'm a tit man. Uh, so most models don't appeal to me. You gotta have tits or you might as well be a fucking boy, Justin Childers. Try being a boy. I like anyway. Justin chicks. Oh, God. Ugh. I do. Oh. I like them oh, all. I like big, small, medium. Oh, really? I'm a yeah. face guy. I'm a face guy. She's got, the uh, face has to be pretty for me to be into it. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tit man. If a That's chicken my, got tits, my, my favorite part of a girl is a face. These Metallica jeans... Which I saw the picture, and basically they're like acid wash jeans with pre-ripped holes in them, which I hate because you earn that shit. You yeah. don't pre. Uh, these jeans sell from anywhere from over four hundred dollars to five hundred dollars. What? You know, yes. you know, that's disgraceful, man. That's that. Oh my god, that's fucking bad. At least a kiss coffin you can be buried in, but these Metallica jeans you're paying. Um, I think it started at $408 and went up to $536 for a pair of acid wash jeans that have some rips in them. You know, back in 1983, when I first hit Kurt Kill Em All, if somebody came up to me telling me this would happen, I'd be getting out of jail by now. Yeah. Because I would murder the guy. What the <laughs> fuck? You Metallica will never do that and slap him around. 
I, I think the inspiration for writing new music is gone. And, and an episode I would really love to do, and I guess it's because I'm, I'm somewhat of a, a masochist, I would love to do a load reload. Yeah, that's going to happen, but it's going to be separate episodes. With with Bill Wang, I'm just worried yeah. it would it would it would ruin our friendship. I'm really scared about that. I hope I hope he can separate what yeah. I would say, because th- th- that dude worships fucking Metallica the way I worship David Lee Roth. The only difference is, I'll admit when David Lee Roth has done some turds, and he's done some turds, but but Bill Wang, man, God bless him. Or I should say, Dave bless him. Uh, man, he sticks by everything Metallica's done. But I, and and, and it's funny. You hate De- Death Magnetic, but you give a pass to some load and reload yeah. shit that, that that I find unforgivable. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, there. Uh, but I'm telling you, uh, the reason I I I defend the loads is because they're doing what they do. I'm not defending the songs as much. I, I, well, I don't I, like. I, I, I mean, do you do you really think? Uh, you know, I'm being all all seriousness here. I'm not joking around. Do you really think that's what they wanted to do, or do yeah. you think that's them them second guessing and trying to stay current? Because I mean, to me, really, what separates load? Uh, I mean, to me, load and reload is them trying to fit in with the alternative world, and, and is just as much as a like a fake as Death Magnetic trying to fake being what they used to be. So I really don't see the difference other than the fact that I enjoy them at least faking to be a thrash band than I do them faking to be an alternative band. Well, we see it, you know, let's agree to disagree. I really don't think they took that. Because uh, I, I, like, I'll give you an example. Like, Here of the Day, uh, well, I, I can't remember that one song that sounds like it's a fucking uh, ukulele. You know, it just doesn't sound alternative to me. It just sounds them trying to be, well, like Led no. Zeppelin. Like, I mean, you know how Led Zeppelin, each album, they did some new shit. Right. And that's them trying to be kind of like, you know. But, like, like I, I hear stories about how James Hetfield hated the covers for Load and Reload, the, you know, the sperm and the blood. And he's like, you know, almost like from a very homophobic thing. Oh, this is gay. You know, this is gay, and he was very against it, but he went along with it. Just like, uh, you know, he didn't like, you know, Lars and, and Kirk kissing, you know, and the makeup and the air, but he went along with it. So to me, it's all a sellout, you know. it's all, And the only reason I think we judge Metallica uh, so harshly, well, not only do I, I feel those songs are fucking horrible, but Metallica was the one band that you had faith in. You know, it's like, it's like when Kiss sells out, nobody gives a fuck because as much as we love Kiss, they never had integrity. You know, it's, it's like getting mad at fucking, uh, you know, uh, Cinderella for going bluesy. You really don't give a shit. You know, either you like it or you don't. But Metallica was that one band that was all about the dirt bags. You know, that was all about the underground scene. And 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 their sellout, I think, is it was one of the worst betrayals in music history because of what they stood for back in the day. I mean, here's a band that wouldn't even make videos, you know, for the longest time because they thought that was poserish. You know, to, to oh, now we're making a video for Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> you know, that it's like, God damn. You know, it's, it's like, because it's a band that people respected more than most bands. 
Right. You know, they're, no, they're, no, and, I, I, it's especially for people like you and me, and you were there even before me. But back in the day, there was an utmost respect for Metallica. Yeah. And back and back in the day, if you wore a Metallica shirt to school, you were a scumbag. You were a dirtbag. You were that was like, that was total burnout music. You know, good people didn't listen to that shit. You know, now it's like you might as well see a Kardashian wearing a fucking Metallica shirt, you know. But people who weren't there don't understand it. And I know Bill Wang was there. I definitely know Bill Wang was there, but I, he just has this blind love. And I get because I used to have that kind of blind love for Kiss. I really did. Until Psycho Circus. Man, you, I defended everything Kiss did. You, you bring up a lame song, I had an excuse for it. I would make an excuse for it. Kiss could do no fucking wrong. But when Psycho Circus came out, I'm in my early 20s, I was like, you know what, this is shit. And you know what, some of this other shit, shit. And I will always love Kiss. But I got over the, this blind fandom that they can do no wrong. You know, and, and I've done it with Dave, dude. You know, your filthy little mouth. I like some songs, but it's a shitty album. Diamond Dave, I like some of the covers. It's a shitty album. You know, I love David Lee Roth. My favorite frontman of all time. Is he perfect? No. And and no band is perfect, but man, there, there's few bands that set up as much integrity as Metallica. And and, and then sold out so fuck. I mean, they might as well have a fucking perfume. And I think it's funny that they they sued a cosmetics company for making a lipstick called Metallica. That They, they named a shade of color Metallica, and they sued them. I guess because it, it wasn't their idea, but they can have five hundred dollar French fucking jeans that are ripped, pre-ripped. Yeah, wait. Fucking insane. What all else right. we got? Enough from Metallica, man. Yeah. All right. Well, here's a show. Oh my god, I saw this today. I'm like, please, 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 please let this be in New Orleans, and of course it's not. Uh, and this is a show I think you should leave Miami to go to Orlando for. Uh. I don't know how big a fan you are of the headliner, Clutch. Clutch is the headliner. Yeah. And the next band is Zach Sabbath, which is Zach Wilde doing oh. all. Oh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, all Black Sabbath. Oh, shit. All Black Sabbath. And then the opening band is a newer band that I, I know a little bit of, and everything I heard I liked, uh, their name is King. It's spelled K-Y-N-G. All right, well, next story, man. Here's something I am really looking forward to, and that is the new Denner Sherman album, uh, Masters of Evil. Yeah. Ha have you heard the clips from this yet? No, I have not. Oh, my God. There's one full song you can hear. Uh, Angel's Blood, I believe, is the full song you can hear. And then you can hear a snippet of the title track, and then they just uh, released a teaser today of the first video, I forget what song that's for, but oh my, I mean, I mean, you know, you already love the EP, you know, and if you like that shit, you're gonna love this, but the only thing I can say is when I hear this, it's like, please, please, get with King Diamond now before it's too late, you know, get, get Denner and Sherman, get Timmy Hansen, and please dig up Kim Ruz and do another Merciful Fate, because these guys are on fire right now. And the good king just turned 60 the other day. And I saw him last year, and he was amazing. But I, I think now's the time to resurrect. Uh, I mean, as much as this album is great, I'd love to see it toured. Now is the time to resurrect Merciful Fate. Well, uh, uh, Hank Sherman just the other day, I saw 
said that the merciful faith thing, the door's never been closed. So there is a possibility it will happen. But, right. but I'm not holding my breath for Kim Ross. That's what I want, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that probably won't happen. But if they do something, I would like Timmy Hansen to be there, too. You know? No, I want, I want, but no, I want it all, dude. I want all five. Oh or yeah, to me, it's you're, like eh. you're you're like how I am with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you hear it, you hear just like you hear uh, in in the shadows, you hear it in uh, Chinese Democracy and uh, Use Your Illusions. It's not there's something missing. It doesn't have that chemistry, and and. Uh, for me, it's all about Duff and, and, and Adler, where you, I know it's Izzy. And and to me, it's Merciful Fate, I feel like it's all five. The drummer is so important, and that's why I think Steven Adler is so important, and why you agree, you know, uh, Kim Ruzz is so important. And I, I think you're right, but I mean, the chances, because this guy, I mean, nobody's heard from him from the 80s. I mean, less, he's a postman now, well, right? Well, actually, you, believe it or not, uh, a couple years ago, Merciful Fate won some kind of weird award in Denmark, and all of them were there except for King Diamond, because that's when King Diamond was going through the heart surgery. Right. But fucking Kim Ruz was there with the rest of them. And I was like, holy shit! Kim Ruz, Sherman, Hanneman, and Hanson all showed up to get this award. So, right. So they're in touch with the guy. So well, that's good. Yeah, but, yeah. So yeah, you know, but but drumming is one of the hardest, I think, to come who back. Who knows to. if he's good anymore? Right. I know. Right. And, and, well, like a perfect example was uh, Peter Chris. Uh, well, yeah, Peter. Yeah, he is a great example. But another good one was uh, Testament when they got the classic oh, lineup together. You know, Louis Clemente after uh, after Ritual, dude, he quit. You know, he owns a furniture store in Upper State, New York. And he could only play half the set. And, and and admittedly, he didn't try to hide it. He's like, dude, I quit playing drums. I can't do it like I used to. That's why uh, John Tepesta did half the set, I believe. And and Louis did the other one. And then finally, Louis just bowed out. Dude, he's like, hey, man, I can't do it like that. Especially yeah. playing that heavy of music. I mean, we're not talking about like, like Peter Chris playing fucking Baby Driver. You know, we're talking about, you know, a, a man 60 years old trying to play Curse of the Pharaohs. <laughs> you know? Right. So, but but I would love to have him there. But if not, man, if they can get, you know, the other four, uh, because this new uh, uh, Denon Shermer, man, sounds amazing. All right. Well, Gene Simmons just saved Africa. Oh, yeah. I saw this. this well, you know, well. At least one child. Yeah, you you know the thing about this, I gotta say, it, I, I, you gotta commend. It's awesome, but at the same time, it's like, really, you have to announce this. You know, I mean, I know Gene Simmons does a lot of shit behind the scenes, but that's kind of like, hey, look how good I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I I definitely think it's it's damage control, but even if it is, you can't deny uh, how awesome this is. Yeah, it is a great. Uh, thing. He he brought a kid. Apparently, I mean, I watched maybe the first season of, of Family Jewels, but apparently in the final season, they showed uh, Shannon Tweed going over to Africa, you know, this this poor village and everything. Well, they sent one of these kids over here who has very fucked up legs uh, over here to have corrective surgery so this poor kid can walk. And uh, Gene is also letting him recuperate at his house. You know, they took him into his home and everything. And 
you know, Kiss has done a lot of charity work, a lot of stuff for veterans and a lot of shit like this. Uh, you know, I'm sure by the timing of this, it's kind of like to, to humanize Gene a little bit when he keeps, you know, uh, you know, fucking up in the press, you know, and seeming very unsensitive. But uh, uh, it, it's a nice thing he, he did, and I believe it should be mentioned because whether it was done for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, it ends with positive results. So I think he should be commended for that. Yeah, no, you know what? It's a great thing. But, yeah, it's a little hokey, but it's a great thing. But, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, what I saw... Now, remember this. Uh, when Gene Simmons, a few months ago, went to go uh, go see a terminally ill kid who was a, a, a KISS fan... Right. ...who died the next day. Right. Now, that, uh, I understand, was not a Gene Simmons thing. It was a hospital thing. And the, and the family of that kid that they posted it everywhere and then it right. caught wind. But that was something Gene Simmons did kind of like on the down low. Down low. Right. right. And and you you didn't see that on Blabbermouth and none of that shit. Well so, I did actually. Oh you did? Well it was I'm pretty sure it was the family because I remember the story right. had like people being interviewed from the hospital freaking out over, you know, how cool this was. Where it wasn't really I don't know. I don't I don't I did not see it as a Gene Simmons opportunity thing. Because what I understand, Gene Simmons gives a lot to the, to the army. I mean, the military. Right, right. You know, he, he's he's he does a lot of charity work that goes unheard of. You know right. what I mean? And, and, and here's I mean, this is awesome because I just refreshed Blabbermouth, and we have an update on this story that uh, the the surgery on this kid actually worked amazingly. They said Gene played him the elder, and the kid walked out on his own. Oh, come on, man. He, he left the house on his own. Oh, man, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Not cool. <laughs> okay, next story. Uh, now, by the way, by the way, I would mention all the charity work I've done, but I'm not that way. Hey, I, I used to give to UNICEF, <laughs> but I don't know more. Um, I give to hookers. There, I gave. <laughs> and my mother thanks you. Uh, here is a story that normally I wouldn't mention, but now... Why it, mention it, it Why? Why? Cause, well, because now I'm really pissed off. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, Filter canceled a show over the weekend. Oh, I heard, I heard something, the club owner said it was bullshit, right? Yes, yes, in Sweden, they said they canceled the show because of a death threat. You know, and they said in light of what happened... Uh, this past weekend in Orlando, you know, I'm sure, well, maybe if you don't live in this country, uh, you know, a singer was killed Friday night in Orlando, uh, you know, uh, Sunday, uh, a, a gay club was shot up by, you know, some, you know, some Muslim ISIS sympathizers, uh, you know, uh, a Sunday, a kid was eaten by an alligator, it was a bad weekend to be in Orlando. Yeah, Orlando was crazy this, this weekend, yeah. yeah. Uh, Flo Florida is the dregs of humanity. Let's be honest here. Hey, I'll give you a pet. Miami is the state of Miami. Miami should be separate from Florida. But the rest of Florida, trust me, kids, I live there. Hey, it's if you can't make it anywhere else, you move to fucking Florida. Uh, so anyway, he said because of enlightened everything that happened and receiving a death threat, they canceled a show in Sweden. But now people that work at the club say that was total bullshit and this was a hissy fit because... The club owners yelled at a member of Filter for smoking inside of the club. 
and said, oh, no, 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 you can't smoke in here. You can't smoke. And he said, like, with a wink, like, oh, God, the owners will kill you if you smoke in here. You know? And oh, then, God, really? Yeah, and so that, you know, so they're saying there was no death threat. This is just Filter being a bitch because the guy told me he couldn't smoke it and they canceled the gig. Did I ever and, tell you my Filter story? I saw them live. I never heard your Filter story. No. Oh, my God. They, they, you talk, well, I'm not going to talk about the band. Number one, they suck. I mean, that's just my own personal opinion. I thought they were horrible. I think they opened for, I can't remember who, but it was uh, it was at an arena. It was Miami Arena. I can't remember who the fuck they opened for. But, dude, the singer was such a pompous twat that this was the height of grunge, by the way. This had to be, like, 93, maybe? And uh, he's up there, you know, shoegazing, acting, you know, your grunge, anti-rock star bullshit. Dude, the guy didn't even say bye at the end. He, he He's singing his stupid song, and then he throws the mic down, and he walks off stage, and the band, like, continues playing. They hit the last note, then they all leave, and I'm thinking, didn't even have the courtesy to say, you know, good night. Never once during the show did he even acknowledge the crowd. All right, next story. Uh, Twisted Sister is going to release a live DVD on July 22nd called Metal Meltdown. And this was recorded on their farewell tour in Las Vegas. And, uh, ooh, I got to tell you, from what I saw, like the tracks they played, oh, not good. Wow, what? They do Fire Still Burns, right? Oh, no, no, I like the set list, but I'm just saying there's like a trailer for this thing. Oh, okay. And I was not feeling it. And another thing, uh, they're not playing in costumes. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's for this whole farewell tour or if it was just for this show. But uh, you know, they were all dressed in street clothes, which I, I know I shouldn't care about. But it, like, fuck, dude, if it's the farewell, I mean, it's well publicized. Marco Mendoza, because of whatever fucking homophobic shit he's got going on, will not wear the makeup anymore. But the rest of the band always did. But I think it's because of Portnoy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, but the rest of them are... The funny thing is, it's almost like the Lick It Up tour. Like, Dee Snyder's not wearing the makeup, but he's got so much makeup on, he might as well be wearing makeup. Right. I, I mean, you know those pictures of Paul Stanley where it's like almost white face, but it's yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah, that's what Dee looked like. And, and, and sound-wise, to me, it, it did not sound good, you know? And we both agree. We love that live at Hammersmith album. I think I, they, I, I think they are in my top three greatest live bands ever. Oh yeah! And, and, oh, and he says this in the video. You know, typical D. You put up any band. You put up Van Halen. We'll fucking kill them. Well, you maybe know? no. You know what? I will give them. Nah. Well, yeah, kind of now, but '80s, no way. No way. Van Halen on his prime, nobody can touch them. They're yeah. number one on my list. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even say now because I, okay, I I saw them like three years ago, two three years ago. Right, right. Well, I I saw Twisted Hammer. Sister two on their Merry Christmas tour, and it was yeah, fucking. Know, that, that's it. Yeah, you know, hey, it was fucking good, but uh, I'm so, I'm sorry. You, you, even you, that, even that stupid Christmas, and they were still good. I showed oh, you that out there. there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they were great, but but Top and Van Halen, no. But uh, you know, there's probably some prejudice there. But when I saw this, uh. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is time to give it up. 
you know, maybe if I see it in, in full, I'll change my opinion. I'm sure I'll check it out. But, uh, yeah, so far not impressed. But if you are curious, July 22nd, Metal Meltdown will be available on DVD. I'll have to buy it. Um, uh, here's what I call Filthy Looker. And this is all about Filthy Animal Taylor. This uh, was amazing. Amazing. Uh, how in the hell was this guy worth almost $2 million? Yeah. That, that's what I... When, when, when Lemmy was living in a goddamn apartment, right? how in the fuck did Filthy Animal have $2 million? I don't know, but he did. And I love the story. He's like, don't let that bitch get a penny of it. Right. Luckily, so, luckily, he was smart enough to do a will, you know? Yeah, yeah. So for our listeners... And I don't know if this can be contested because legally she was his wife, but he left all his money to his two sisters and nothing to his wife, who he married 15 years ago, but they separated like months after they were married. Uh, but they never legally got around to getting divorced, and maybe that's because he didn't want to lose some of this money. I still wonder if that's... Ag- I, mean, I mean, I just really can't picture him being worth that much money. But... Maybe he made some wise investments. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he must have. He must have. But, uh, hey, uh, you know, if, if she was a money-grabbing bitch, I hope she doesn't get her money on his loot, dude. And uh, I hope Oh, man. I don't think she deserves it. Fuck that. Man, how do you think wives deserve anything? Even if she's with him for 15 years. Unless she supported his ass. No. But if she just laid there and spread her legs and didn't do, do nothing, didn't contribute anything, I think fucking no wife no fucking wife at all that 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 pretty much is like i only i only agree paying a wife that supports the husband or is there to help the husband like succeed in whatever the fuck they're doing but some bitch that leaves them after a couple months of marriage get out of here get out of here no she each all she should get is an autographed album that's it all right well next story here's something i'm really happy about and this concerns somebody on our Facebook page. And that's Todd Strange. Uh, Todd, I see Todd at shows all over the place. He is the nicest guy. You know, he's from the classic era of Crowbar. And he has rejoined the band. They parted ways with Jeff Gordon, who... Jeff Gordon, I, I've met him once or twice. Real nice guy. But now Todd is back in Crowbar. They are recording a new album. And I even talked to Todd about coming on the show because I asked him, I go, uh, I ran into him at House of, uh, with House of Shock. That, that's the huge, huge, uh, like, uh, haunted house that we have here in New Orleans that uh, uh, Phil and Selma was part of starting up and everything. And I ran into Todd. I was like, hey, Todd, dude, I know you're on the page. I'm like, when are you going to come on the show? He goes, well, what album will we talk about? I go, what do you want to talk And he wants to do a Celtic Frost album. All right, cool. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. He's like, as long as it ain't Cold Lake. I was like, more of no. tales, bro. Yeah, I was like, no problem. But, man, he, you know, we were sitting there talking. You know, we're drinking a beer, and he's telling me about the first time he heard Morbid Tales and how it changed his life. And he goes, and then, dude, he goes, I'll never forget the first time I heard Cold Lake and I about fucking wanted to cry, <laughs> you know. And uh, so hopefully you get Todd. And, and like I said, I... I know all the crowbar guys, not, you know, hey, you know, they know me, but they don't know me. I'm not going to pretend I'm Eddie Trunk and they're my best friends. 
But I know these guys. I've seen them a bunch. I'm happy for Todd to be back in the band. And uh, can't wait for the new album. And uh, hopefully uh, we are going to have a Crowbar episode in the future. I, t- I already talked to Kirk Weinstein's wife, uh, Weinstein's wife about it. And it's, it's just a matter of scheduling. Uh, Paul Stanley has come out and said that, you know, just because all this shit went well with Ace Fraley's solo album, that Ace, he does not see Ace coming back to the band. What do you think of this, Ralph? Yeah, um, eh. I mean, it kind of sounds like Ace is coming back because it's Paul Stanley saying it. Remember, Paul Stanley is like the same guy that says, uh, you know, nobody can be in, you know, uh, no, it's diluted to uh, have anybody, uh, any other member in the makeup. It has to be the original four. And now he says this. I, I, everything he says, uh, I, I don't believe. All right. Well, they have they have a tour coming up, too. So, of course, they're not going to say, oh, Ace is coming back. So come see Tommy Thayer before we, 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 we take we before we take him back to getting us pasta. Right, and we can very well see, oh, oh uh, after the tour, it never felt right having Tommy in Ace's makeup. Yeah, was, <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah, while Eric Singer's still in the band with the cat makeup. I could totally see them do that. Oh, I could too. I could, do, and I hope so, because I'd, I'd love to see, you know, the real Ace. Uh, and I think, I think, you know what, man, I, I don't know, maybe it's like hopeful thinking, but I think they should, they will do that, because... They don't have much time left, man. This is it, you know? It's like... If, if they want to do one last cash grab, Ace is the best way to go. All right, well, uh, speaking of, um, you know, how bands are getting older and they're not going to be around, last night I went to go see Motley Crue's The End, which was showing only one night at theaters. So, you know, I went to go. I, I took my brother, by the way. My brother doesn't know Motley Crue. My brother, you know, he gave up on music a long time ago. So I took him to go see this. And before I go into the review, I gotta tell you the funniest shit about my brother. After the movie was, you know, my brother was quiet the whole movie. But there was one part he did turn to me and say, this kind of reminds me of Kiss. Cause you know, of all the pyro and shit. So then after the show, after the movie, I go to my brother, so how'd you like it? And he goes, man, they were fucking amazing. You know, that guy can sing his ass off. <laughs> I was like, really? Because yeah. I, was, I was sitting there in certain parts of the show, I'm thinking to myself, my brother's probably really hating Vince Neil. Because you know Vince, he sings every other word. Right. And but, he's like, hey, hey, when are they going to play round and round? Yeah. <laughs> my brother, But my brother really loved it. And he goes, man, and that guitar player was super heavy. And oh my God, that drummer, you know? I was like, you know, he knew Tommy Lee. Like, of course, because Tommy Lee is a celebrity. And he's like, oh, my God. He goes, dude, I wish I would have went to that concert. You know, because I told him I saw that show. And he goes, man. I w-, and he goes, when you saw it, they had that roller coaster? I go, yeah. Man, I wish I would have seen that. So he really enjoyed it. Now, my review of the movie. It was fucking amazing. It was really well done. Really well shot. Uh, you know, I'm seeing it on the big screen, and it was loud. They turned that shit up in the theater. It was great. It was really well done. It had interviews in between, like, you know, they'd play, like, three songs, and there's interviews with the band. And uh, the most interesting thing, and I got to say this, man, I felt like 
all four members were extremely honest through the whole thing. They were really honest, like, and, and also they were interviewing the manager or the tour manager talking about how these guys don't get along. They, they, they not only travel in different buses, they actually stay in different hotels, not different, not different floors, different hotels altogether. <laughs> well, I didn't know there was that many different La Quinta inns in every town. Well, there you go. But uh, the best part, I mean, well, the most honest part was Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee goes, man, I've played these songs thousands and thousands of times. You know what? I just can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And this band, he goes, this band, we have no, um, the, the, the well is dry. There's no way we can write new music together. We're all so different. And we're all in different areas. Like, you know, every member of this band, you know, and he goes, we can't agree on shit, nothing. When we try to agree on something, it never works. But when we finally do agree on something, it turns out to be great. He did say some positive things about Motley Crue. Like, you know, this is, you know, this has been a ride. And it's like, you know, he said how great Motley Crue is as far as like his life, which of course he can't lie about that. Yeah, but, paid for his life. But he, he actually he actually did say, you know, how yeah, he's, I'm not into this shit. I can't play this no more. I can't do this no more, you know? And then, you know, Nikki Six, even, you know, him being the biggest book. Oh, yeah, one thing I got to make, uh, got to bring up. Nikki Six always has to talk about how he died. He had to bring that up in this movie not once, not twice. I think he did it like four times. Like, he is so arrogant, and the way he talks, you know, oh. This past Monday, I did an episode of Decibel Geek Podcast, and they saw that there was, like, uh, it was some rock festival in Tennessee, and they went to it, and uh, they, they said, Vince, man, oh, my God. Without the, the big Motley Crue production and all the overdubs, uh, you know, I, I think Aaron liked it a lot more than Chris but they said Vince was so out of breath, uh, you, you know, half singing the songs, and said Vince uh, walked off stage for a half hour. What? While, yes, while the rest of the band played like Led Zeppelin covers and some Black Sabbath covers, and then he came back. You know, and I was like, well, maybe he had to go, you know, learn the lyrics to... Uh, Bad Boy Boogie. I don't, I, you know, I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know why he had to be gone that long, but. Uh, yeah, they were very uh, different on their opinion of how the Vince Neil live show was. But uh, they, they both agree that he was winded, was having problems. And, you know, there's been all this stuff about, you know, the backing tracks for Motley Crue. Uh, you know, uh, Mick Mars came out and said, oh, yeah, we definitely have you know, backing vocals. Yeah, no, no. Watching that movie last night, that's all I can think of when they had close-ups of Nikki Six singing. Right. I was like, yeah, right. But they right. did they did have two chicks up there. Well, you saw the tour. Yeah, and, yeah. And, hey, I, and you can tell that's real. Hey, man, nobody bashes Motley Crue like me. And I saw the Farewell Tour twice. Yeah. And, and it, it, it was a great show. I'm not going to lie, dude. But to me... My, you know, we had a post today on, on the Rocky Metal Combat where you and Justin Childers were going off between, you know, Rat and Motley Crue. 
But I said, hey, crew was always about the show. Because if you relied on the songbook, oh, you're fucked. But if you, if, if for Motley Crue to go out and do a greatest hits and, and, and the production that they do, and, and I'll give you that, dude, I, I love Steven Pearson. But his stage presence can't touch Vince Neal's. Because Vince Neal is all over the place. And Vince Neal seems happy to be performing to everybody where Steven Piercy is like, oh, fuck, I wish I didn't have a mortgage payment. You know, like, he he seems so disinterested. Even though I love Rat, I think they have far superior song list and musicianship, all that shit. But the Motley Crue show was an amazing show. Like, you even said it rivals Kiss as far as, like, putting on like a big production well the pyro i gotta say i gotta say i think it blew away kiss that i've never seen so much flames and pyro and oh yeah that that show the the molly crew farewell tour to me was the most bombastic show i ever saw in my life it it kiss pales in comparison Oh, oh it, it was amazing, even though my favorite thing both times was seeing Alice Cooper twice. But, hey, I didn't get to stand on stage with Alice Cooper and throw out balls like you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I had to, I had to suck some balls to get up there. Hey, whatever it did, dude. Yeah, man, yeah. Hey, hey, that, sh- that shit's on video. You will live forever for being on stage with Alice Cooper, so that's awesome. Yeah. But I, I'm glad you liked the movie. I, hey, I, as much as I rag on crew. Dude, when this shit comes out on Blu-ray, I'll get it. Dude, I've got Carnival of the Souls. I've got all the other shit they put out. Crew puts on a great show. You know, but I'm just like, you know, if you look at catalog, of course, I'm the rat guy. But, but dude, there's no denying. What, what a great show. And I feel for the younger generation that you're not going to see shows like what Motley Crue did on the Farewell Tour. If you miss that shit... Dude, you missed Arena Rock at its finest. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know uh, it did come down here twice as well. But the first time, and I didn't go, was at the Hard Rock where they didn't have the roller coaster because it's it's a small place. Right, right. But I so luckily, you know, I saw it. It came back, and but and, uh, and you know what's funny, dude? I wasn't gonna go. The only reason I went to that show was because somebody hooked me up with VIP tickets to meet Alice Cooper. Right. So I was like, okay, because. Dude, let me tell you, I saw, last time I saw Molly Cruz at Crew Fest, and it was so bad. Right. And I was like, fuck this band, it's just horrible live, you know? Right. But then I saw that, and I was like, God, they were on, man. And well, and this movie really does capture it. All right, that's enough of the news. What do you say we get into the review? Oh, yeah, we got a special guest this week. You know it. Bam, bam, bam! All right, so now it's time for the review. This week we are reviewing... Ace Fraley's uh, 1989 solo album, Trouble Walking. And uh, I really enjoy this album. I enjoy this album so much that we have to bring the Master of the Chopsticks in for this episode. Everybody, you know who he is, your favorite, Mr. Bill Wang. Hey, 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 Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, the place to be. Diddly D, what's up, Dr. Fucking Wazilla? Coming to you from San Francisco. All right, Bill, man, good to have you here, buddy. Uh, I can't think of a better person to have on the show. When we review, but, you know, the best member that Kiss ever had, right? Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. The man. The man. The, the, the man that, when he goes solo, 
he kicks ass, where otherwise, when the other three people go solo, they go solo, nobody can see him. <laughs> exactly. And this is a prime example of why Ace Fraley is the best member of KISS, because he can survive and do kick-ass music like this without those other three, where uh, Live to Win an Asshole, a jury, a court adjourned. Um, so, uh, I'll talk about how I uh, discovered this album. Being very disappointed by uh, Second Sighting, this one came out, being the nut swinger I am, this was, you know, back in the pre-internet days, and I don't think the Do Ya video was out yet. Saw it in the store, and of course I had to buy it. I'm like, okay, new ace, hoping for a better album. Took it home, first track, blew my fucking mind. It's a solid album. It's an amazing album, and I'll get into it in more detail. Didn't see this tour, unfortunately. But I saw Ace Frehley like three, four times after this album. Because once this tour was over, Ace Frehley went on Just For Fun tour, Bad Boys, a rock and roll tour. He came down here like three, four times between uh, before Psycho Circus took off. And uh, always delivered live. Uh, and uh, I think this is a solid, great fucking album, a return to form. And unfortunately, it didn't blow up like it should have, but that's because I think uh, Second Sighting really destroyed his momentum. If this would have came out after Fraley's Comet, I think it would have been a bigger deal. And if they would have released a different single and not, you know, uh, Do Ya, I think it would have had a better chance as well. But I'll pass it over to Bill Wang, uh, how you discovered this album and so on. Well, you know, I could just say exactly what you said. You know, I, I experienced the same sort of stuff. But, um, boy, go back to summer in 89. I remember reading Crane Magazine, seeing the, the promo of the guys in leather jackets. Like, yeah, man, it's, it's going to be heavy. And then you hear, you know, Eddie Kramer's going to produce it. You know, and after that, you know, debacle, that wimp fest, sick, exciting, you know, I had high hopes for this, for this album big time. And, uh, and then you hear, you know, Richie Scarlet's back, you know, wimpy ass Todd Holworth is gone. And I was so excited, and uh, the, and it, and then when it dropped, it's like fuck yeah. And I remember specifically driving home from work, October seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, 5:04 p.m. Right then and there, listening to this fucking album, the Earthquake Kid. So I will forever be thinking of the '89 Earthquake in this Ace Freely album. It's amazing. Uh, wow. This week, listening to it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that fucking wild? This week, just, you know, rehashing, just going back in time. But yeah, that's how I uh, discovered in some of my early memories of uh, that release. And, um, I was pleasantly surprised as a pocket. Yeah, you know, uh, just something similar happened to me. When I bought this album, I put it in my car, the CD. I'm driving home, and it was a really hot day, and my balls got sticky against my legs. I hate when that happens. South Florida, man. All right, Ian, how about you? Uh, all right, well, unlike you two, I wasn't disappointed by Second Siding. I love Second Siding. Well, then again, you think Paul Stanley had the better of the 78 solo album. That's true. Bam! That, by, that, one, that by, by one song. By one song. It's I love, close. I love, I love how Bill said bam. Uh... <laughs> The one thing I'll say about this is, 
it was much like Hot in the Shade to me now. I didn't I didn't have access to Kerrang! at the time. Uh, you know, my Bible was Hit Parader. And I knew nothing of this or Hot in the Shade until I just walked in the record store. Like, I, I never remember reading anything like, hey, the new one's coming out. Just like, one day I walked in the record store, oh, fuck, a new Kiss album. Okay, gotta buy it. Then the next week I'm in there, like, new Ace Frehley. I'm like, oh, fuck, I gotta buy it. I had no idea it was coming out. Uh, I did, uh, you, you know, it's funny, let, let me just bring this up. It was released, I believe, two weeks from each other. Okay, well, here, here's the thing. I was looking up in the notes for this, and I saw the release dates, and I, it's got to be wrong. You know, we, we all joke about how Wikipedia can't be wrong, because they show this coming out, I think, like four days before... Hot in the Shade, but I remember buying, seeing Hot in the Shade first, and how could it be four days when back then everything was on a Tuesday? Yeah. So I, be I believe this came out a week after Hot in the Shade, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and I, you know, I gotta tell you, I do remember uh, that, uh, I don't remember if I walked into a record store and said, wow, Ace I didn't know this was coming out, but I do remember seeing that Hot in the Shade thinking, what the hell is this? Because you want to talk about something that I had no idea was coming out. And I turned it around thinking it was some kind of weird greatest hits. And I'm like, I don't know none of these songs. So I bought it. And yeah, you want to talk about badly promoted uh, release. But uh, Ace Frehley, I don't remember feeling that way going to a record store going, what, a new Ace Frehley album? You know? Yeah, I, I had no idea. But of course, the minute I saw both of these, because I mean, I was at the, the height of my Kiss fandom. So I had to have anything that was remotely kiss related but right away uh i really love this i didn't get to see the two i mean was there a tour for this yes yes i actually I have didn't see it. actually okay. have you know i may be wrong bill but i actually have a video of the trouble walking tour from san francisco i could be wrong no, really i could be wrong it's a theater it was shot from the balcony uh i could be wrong but i do have a trouble walking show uh, from, I think, San Francisco. It's a bootleg shot from a balcony of a theater. No shit, man. I don't, I don't re remember that. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see it. I saw the, the two fire, but... Maybe, wow. it, maybe it was in San Francisco. Maybe I may be wrong. But, uh, Ian, I got... Only tour, there's maybe that. What's that? Well, at the Regency Ballroom, um, there's some shots, and there's a balcony, and that was the Anomaly tour, so maybe okay. that's it, but... Maybe I mean Maybe. I, I, I I may be wrong about what venue it was, but or where it was. But Ian, I gotta ask you: if you bought both these albums at the right. same time and you, you you went home and you put it on, uh, did you say? Did you think, oh fuck, this one's way better than the other? Did you judge it in any way? Because I did the same thing because State of Euphoria and uh, On Just for All came out on the same day, and I played them both back to back, and I was disappointed with Anthrax but loved the Metallica. Um, it's kind of hard to say because when th when these came out, I was I was 15, and I loved them so much. I wasn't as like cynical as I am now. I'm sure I I loved them both because I I did like Hot in the Shade at the time. I thought Hot in the Shade was an improvement over Crazy Nights because I you know I was disappointed by Crazy Nights when it first came out, and I liked Hot in the Shade at first. But I mean I I would have liked anything. You would have played me The Elder, and I thought it was the greatest record back then because I had no hate. Which, I mean, I was I was a kid, you know, and whatever was Kiss was infallible, and whatever was Kiss-related. So, 
it, it, it's kind of hard for me to say I remember loving both of these, but I will say this definitely, definitely holds up better than Hot in the Shade to me now. That's that's for damn sure. I remember scratching my head the first time I heard Hot in the Shade going, number one, I'm not digging this, and number two, when's this going to end? Because it was so long. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was so such long. a yeah. long album, and I couldn't get into any of it. A couple songs I kind of warmed up to later, but for the most part, God, that is, to me, the worst Kiss album. I mean, even worse than Sonic Boom, and Sonic Boom is nothing. It's really bad, too. You know? yeah, I wouldn't They're, go that far, but it's it's definitely in the bottom. They're very close together. Yeah, I would have to almost put Sonic Boom tied with Hot in the Shade as the biggest Kiss stinker. I, I would say the only two I would put below Hot in the Shade is... Uh, the Elder and Sonic Boom. Alright. Elder, you're nuts. No, of course he's nuts. <laughs> and you're wouldn't, delusional. Wouldn't you <laughs> like to know me? Ugh. Hold me. Baby, won't you Baby, touch? Baby, won't you touch me? Oh, but oh I, yeah. Oh, God. Hey, talk to us. Put your New tongue beats on. New York group, What's on Your Mind? Yeah, yeah great song. Songs. Horrible. Those songs are cool. Yeah. Tell him, Ralph. Tell him. Fuck. Goddamn. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? Oh, my God. That's fucking horrible. And that, that is the only reason, because I, I think the only bad one on fucking Paul Stanley's is Hold Me, Touch Me, and there's two I don't like on Ace. That's the only thing that gives Paul the edge. I think they're both awesome, but I can't stand New York Groove or What's On Your Mind. On Paul, it's only Hold Me, Touch Me. Science begs to differ, you bitch. Yeah, I know. Hey. That's all right. I stayed on my own. I don't need any validation. Yeah. My ears tell me what rules. He's a rebel. Yes, he is. Rebel that's kind of confused. If he's, he's a rebel without a clue. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just lost in limbo. Yeah. Hey, 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 it's coming up. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, all right. So, we're done. Are we going to get into the album? Yeah. Either that or yeah. we get into a fight about the album. Alright, <laughs> uh, no, I know you love I know you love that elder fighting, man. Uh, but uh it, it'll happen. Maybe later on in the show. What the fuck? For shits and giggles. Yeah. Alright, uh Bill, you're the guest of honor. Why don't you kick off this album? Oh yeah, man. I remember just putting this on and just like a like a rocket blasting off from the launch pad. Absolutely love shot full of rock, man. Um I remember just as soon as I put it on, it's like, yeah, he's back. It's like my man is back, he's heavy, he's dirty, he's just, you know, off the fucking charts, crazy fucking, I love this fucking track, I'm gonna give it five out of five. Hell yeah, Ian? Uh, yeah, I love it, a great opener, uh, definitely heavier than, uh, second siding, and to me this is one that really sounds like it could have came off the 78 album, it just has that power that I, I don't think, even though I love this album, to me, Ace really shot as wide with that first solo album, and even though there's stuff I like, nothing has come close to that solo album. But this song definitely has that feel, that heaviness, uh, that is Ace through and through. And uh, yeah, you you couldn't pick a better. Oh, this is this is my second favorite song, but you couldn't pick a better opener for the album than this song. Absolutely love Shot Full Around. Ain't got time for posers. Look out, Dick. You better beware. Right there. Yeah, that's that's that me. Yeah, exactly. 
I will agree and disagree with Ian. I think the 78 Solom is the best eighth album, but I do feel some of his albums came close. Not as good, but I think uh, Fraley's Comet is close. I think Space Invader is close. I think this one is close. They all fucking... There's there's a concept to those albums. And the concept is, we're all better than Paul Stanley's 78 solo album. Uh, and That's right. This song fucking rocks. This is the song that, when I put on in my car, my balls stuck to my fucking legs. <laughs> it was so Again? good. Yeah, dude. It, it was just so... It so balls out, you know? And It, it really is. And it really did kind of shock me because... Uh, no pun intended. But the thing is, when I'm driving, when I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, shit, this is even heavier than Fraley's Comet, the Fraley's yeah. Comet album. Oh hell yeah, this is way heavier. And it and what I, I, I there's nothing wrong with the song. The whole song keeps me interested. And then when it comes to the end, the crescendo, it goes into that. It's guitar galore, and I believe that's both Ace and Richie. Because Richie Scarlett is extremely underrated. You gotta see. That guy plays amazing fucking guitar. That guy rips. And he's much more he's much more of a cleaner player than Ace. Of course, I mean Ace may be sloppy and all, but Ace writes these fucking solos that the the your John Petrucci's can never even come close to. So technical these nuts. Ace fairly rules. This song rules. I'll go to the next one, which has always been one of my favorite electric light orchestra songs when i was a little kid elo i loved that album new world order i owned it i mean new world record and uh do you was on there so i always loved do you i thought do you was a great song um which i don't know if some of you are aware of this but uh jeff lynn used to be in a band called the move which was very inspired cheap trick was very influenced by them cheap trick covered california man that's a mood song. Well, I, I don't believe Jeff uh, Jeff Lynn was in it. Uh, yes, Roy was. Wood, Roy Wood, the original guitar okay, player. Okay, okay, Roy Wood. Yeah. No, well, well, I believe Jeff Lynn was in it because the move recorded, do ya? So maybe Jeff Lynn was on toward toward the end because do ya? I could be wrong, but I know I heard the move version of do ya. Do ya was actually uh, I could be wrong on this part. I, I believe it was a B-side. It wasn't released anywhere, but you can hear it on YouTube. The move did uh, do ya. Uh, I believe Jeff Lynn was somehow uh, involved in the move. Uh, yeah, Roy Wood. Roy Wood was an early ELO, co- correct? Yes, and he was in the move. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, he's very influenced by uh, Cheap Trick. Very influenced by that guy. Anyway, um, I think Ace doesn't do as good of a version, but. It does. I don't think it sucks. I do think it sucks as a single. Uh, it kind of doesn't represent the album to me. And uh, I guess I know what the record company was going for. They're like, well, if it was a hit once, it'll be a hit again. But I really don't think this was a good idea. Well, I know it wasn't a good idea because it didn't really propel Ace Frehley in any way. They didn't release no other video for this album. Uh... It's a good song. It's fine, but I feel like it's number one badly placed. I don't think it should have been the second track. I don't think it should have been on the album at all. But if you're gonna put it on the album, 
put it near the end or something. It just, well, it's just, I think other songs where I'll describe later should have been a second track where it could have been a bam, 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 bam type song, type album, one, two, three, punch. Or do you kind of like, all right, let me catch my breath because that last song kicks so much ass. So, And I don't really like albums like that. I like to be hit over the head and then hit over the head again on the next track. So do you is okay, but I think it was a mistake. Uh, uh, Ian? Uh, okay, just to let you know, you were right. I did not know Jeff Lynne was. I thought it was just Roy Wood, but Jeff Lynne was in the move in, toward, towards the end of their career. Uh, and this is one, like, I loved ELO and would hear ELO on classic rock all the time, but I never heard this song until wow. I heard it. Wow. Yeah. This, yeah. Song, this song is still heavily played on classic rock radio down here. Uh, I, I hear it more now, but okay. when I was okay. when I was growing up, I heard tons of ELO, and I never knew this song. Oh, wow. I heard Ace, I heard Ace's version uh, first, and when I when I heard the song and I saw the video, it was definitely a grower. And I thought even back then though that it was a bad move to make a cover the first single, uh, and actually the only single for the album. And I can't remember who recommended this. I can't remember if this was Eddie Trunk or somebody else at the record label, but he was he was pushed to do this. And I, I don't even think he was necessarily that much of a fan of the song, but he was talked into doing it. And uh, I could I like, be wrong. I could be wrong, Ian, but I think Eddie Trunk was gone by this point. Uh, well, he he thanks him and he he, he lists him as A and R. Okay. Okay. Uh, on, on the uh, liner notes. Okay. My but. Because, uh, yeah, this was his last album for Megaforce, a uh, studio album. Well, it was uh, on Atlantic as well, right? Yeah, Adla Atlantic had the distribution. Right. But, you know, they were just, Atlantic was distributing Megaforce at that where time. Before, where before all the Ace Frehley stuff was strictly Megaforce. Correct. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I like the song a lot more, more now, but I, I do think it was, it was the wrong single. And I remember it kind of coming and going. They did play it on... Headbangers Ball, but you definitely didn't hear it on radio, and uh, I think something a little bit heavier would have worked at the time, but then again, you know, in 89, really the people who were into this and Kiss were the diehards. It wasn't like the casual metal fans, because that was considered the old guard, you know, it was all about Motley Crue and, and the Cock Rock at the time, you know, I saw Kiss on, on the tour at this time for the first time, the Hot in the Shade tour. But to be quite honest, even though those shows did well, they had, you know, Slaughter, Faster Pussycat, Winger, all bands who were on the uprise that got way more airplay, I think were drawing a lot of people in. So it was people like us that were really listening to this, and outside from diehard KISS fans, I don't think a lot of people knew this was coming out. And uh, again, I think it was a wrong choice for a single, but I enjoy it now. I can tell you this, too, uh, is... Um... You know, after the, the the fiasco of Second Sighting, a lot of Ace Frehley fans, including myself, I was a little weary buying this album. Now, let's say, you know, uh, your casual Ace Frehley fan that loved Frehley's comment and loved the 78 album, but wasn't as diehard as me, heard Second Sighting said, this shit sucks, and then they put on Headbangers Ball and see Do Ya, it would say, to those hardcore type people, they'd be like, oh no, I'm not buying this shit, this is another Second Sighting. You know, now if they would have made a video for Shot Full of Rock, I think right. it, it would have, it wouldn't have exploded it, but I think in the long run, it would be, this album will be 
considered more high regarded than it is today. I feel. Bill, what do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ian. Well, I I was just going to say, I think it is highly regarded now uh, because I think this holds up better. Personally, I think this holds up better than the first Rayleigh's Comet or second sighting in in the long run because I think it's more more rocking. But 89, man, it was all about the pretty boys. And, you know, this wasn't a pretty boy band and that wasn't a pretty boy video. So I think it would have been... I think Ace Frehley would have been a hard sell no matter what in 89 to other than the Kiss Nutswingers. I really do. Well, I, I, I do. I, 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 well, I like Frehley's comment more than this album. Uh, not by much, but I do because I just... Really? Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Frehley's comment, I think, wow. an amazing album. This one, yeah, we'll come up to it. There's a couple songs I'm not in. There's, no, there's only one song off Frehley's comment I don't like, and that's Dolls. But... There's like two on here that I'm not too crazy. Two or three. But, uh, Bill, what do you think of Do You? Well, I just think that's so true. Exactly. Um, what do I think? Um, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, what the fuck are they releasing this for? You know, like you, Ralph, you know, growing up in the 70s as a kid, I liked a lot of those ELO songs that I never owned any records, but my dad would play them, whatever. And uh, I think Ace's vocals are fantastic. Um uh, yeah, I, I could have thought of a better, maybe Five Card Stud as the second single. Um, but, you know, it's okay. It's a decent song, and Gina loves it. So I'm going to give it three out of five chopsticks. Yeah, like like I said, I don't think it's bad. I think Ace does a good version of it. I grew up with the ELO's yeah. version, so, of course, I'm going to be biased. And the only thing that, that bothers me about Do Ya being on here is that it was a single. Now, if it was a song that wasn't a single... I think I'd be a little more comfortable with this song, and still, Me too. I don't, yeah, Me too. I don't, I don't like the placement either. I think it should have been later on on the album, like where "Back to School" is or something, like toward the end. But uh, eh, you know, I mean, okay, it's it's not bad. I just feel like it's a mistake, so it kind of taints my judgment a little bit. Uh, all but right. I, another, yeah. another thing is, how many metalheads do you think were clamoring for a good ELO cover? In 1989, too, you know. Yeah, I know. Like, oh God, I, you know, I wish somebody would do an ELO cover. You know, it probably could have been more cool. Probably, it probably only one. That would have been me. Still, I was still, I was still like, oh, you know. I I mean, I don't mind an ELO cover. I just mind it being a single. Yeah, I I mean, maybe you should have done uh, "Turn Into Stone." I don't know. (laughs) I love that. I love that song. Oh, I love that song too. So do I. That's a badass. That, that part where you go, you know that part? Dude, I Why aren't you coming home? I've been waiting so long. Why aren't you coming home? Hey, you do it. You do it better than me, man. You know what's gayer than Greg Barnes? Me and my best friend, we used to drive around and listen to ELO. And when that song would come on, we would look at each other and do that and like see who could get nail it without fucking up. You know, that was cool. Like if you could do the whole thing. And I think back now, it's like, Oh my God! If I would have been in a red light and saw myself doing that, now, I'd be like, shoot this fucker. Well, I do agree with you. Very much, much gayer than Greg Barnes. That's true. And you that's actually looked at each other and did that. Yes, yes, with lust in our hearts. Oh, eye contact. All right, all right. It's getting, it's getting very, it's getting very uncomfortable here. So, uh, Bill, take the next track. Uh, turn on the air conditioner. You guys are cool off, cool off. Um, five card stud. Freaking love this song. A forgotten classic. Hell, I even forgot about it. Um, heavy slamming tune. Love the guitars. 
Uh, it's solo is fucking off the charts. I fucking dig this song. It's a great song. And like I said, I wish it would have been maybe a second single or a single instead of that. Um, I give this one five out of five chopsticks. Bam, bam, bam. Nice. Um, yeah. Ian? Love it. Love it. This is definitely a, a forgotten track because yeah. I was listening to it. I was like, man, I forgot how good this song was. And just, it's a solid fucking rocker. I mean, it it does sound of the time, but it's heavy. You know, it's, to me, it, you know, it's far heavier, more rocking than the shit that was on the first Bradley's Comet and, and Second Siding. And I do love those albums, but I think, like, in hindsight, they really sound uh, dated, both of them. Uh, not to say I don't like them, but it's just dated and, and a little bit polished, where this one is much more in-your-face and holds up a thousand times better and uh this is a perfect example love five card stuff oh I, I love it too i think this could have been a better second track off the album you know bam bam you know just like hit one two uh kind of uh lyrically a little rock soldierish. you know it's more about you know it's just about ace fraley you can tell it's a song about him because uh, ace five card you know stud and stuff like that uh, I think it rocks. It's killer hard rocking tune. Aged well with me. I don't. I don't find it uh, to be aged badly. Uh, though I will say it's not my favorite on here. Uh, I find there's a couple songs coming up that are much better. But this is a very enjoyable track. Very Ace Fraley, and I'm gonna throw it to Ian on the next track. All right, now this is one I'll probably be alone on, but I love this fucking song. I, I, I think it's amazing. It was co-written with Paul Stanley and uh, Desmond Child and Holly Knight. I believe it was first recorded by Bonnie Tyler. But this was like the year of Hide Your Heart. Bonnie Tyler did it. Kiss did it. Ace Fraley did it. Molly fucking Hatchet did it. Um, and I believe it, except I think Bonnie Tyler came out a year earlier and Molly Hatchet, Kiss, and Ace all did it in 89. Um... I think Paul sang it the best, but man, the solo on Ace's version kills the Bruce Kulick version. You know, Bruce Kulick is a good guitar player, but it just showed, like you were talking earlier, you know, you like Ace better than, than John Petrucci, who is an amazing technical guitar player, but there, there's so much to be said for feel, and Ace is all about feel. And I, I enjoy the song, period. And like I said, I think Paul does a better vote, uh, version vocally but ace's guitar on this i love and i still enjoy this version i think it's a good track what do you think wayne um but um, just to piggyback on what you're saying as far as yeah the album does have a little bit uh rawer sound and i mean freely's comment i love way better the first one but yeah this one is more heavier a little bit more street a little bit more dirty um hide your heart i like this better than the kiss version it's uh, less polished. Uh, I love the vocal delivery. Um, it's it's a decent song. I mean, I could think of other things, but uh, I like it a hell of a lot better than the Kiss version. And um, I'm going to give it three out of five. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, uh, I hate it, but I hate every version of the song. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I the only good thing I can say is that I did listen to it today. I hey that rhyme. I put I put that and two other songs that I. Oh, he skipped. Just to refresh my memory how it was. And uh, 
listening to it today, I still hated it, but I was like, hey, you know, Ace Frehley's singing this pretty good. I mean, like, pretty much how Paul does it, you know? It's like, um, there's certain parts of the song where he belts it out, and I think, uh, the vocal the vocal is good. I do prefer this over the kids version um, because to me it's more I don't know my more my speed um, because I, I just love the organic nature of Ace Frehley. I think Paul Stanley's a better singer uh, and and I enjoy Paul's voice more than Ace's in many instances, but not on this track. I think Ace sings it better. Uh, what Ian was saying about the guitar solo, to tell you the truth, I didn't really analyze it, so... But I wouldn't be surprised because... Listen, Bruce Kulik's a great guitar player. I've seen him, I've met him, he's a nice guy. I love Asylum. But, seriously, he doesn't write memorable solos. Not to me, though. I mean, if, if you play me Bruce Kulik doing a solo on a song I never heard of before, I couldn't tell you that's Bruce Kulik. Tears like, are falling. Amazing right, Bruce Kulik's. Bruce but 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 if but if you didn't know that was Bruce Kulik, it could have been anybody. You know what True. I'm saying? They could have brought True. in Dick Wagner to do True. that. He, he doesn't have a signature sound. That's like what I'm. That's sense. what I'm trying to say. Like if you play me a song with Bruce, and I didn't know it was Bruce Kulik on the song, I still wouldn't know. And I, if you play me a song or I didn't know it was Ace on it, I would know it was Ace. All right, uh, the next song I'll take is called Lost in Limbo. Uh, it, you know, um, when we're done with the album, I'll I'll say what's my favorite track. But as of now, I think this is the best track on the album. I think it's the most underrated track. And I was very shocked that on the Space Invader tour, he was opening the show with this song. Um, I never seen him play it live. I think this song is catchy as fuck, and it was a it was a grower on me because when I first heard this album, I was like, it's all about shot full of rock, and you know. And a couple other tunes I'll talk about later. But this one didn't really catch on till later. And now it's like on me like a fungus. So as of now, as we'll go through the album. I think this is the best track on the album. And I would also like to uh, tell anybody out there, if you want to listen to, uh, uh, what's the name of that song? Out of This World from Tommy Thayer on the album Monster. It's a total ripoff of this song. Listen to them back to back. He blatantly ripped off Lost in Limbo for that song uh, on Monster because he figured, oh, who the fuck's going to know Lost in Limbo except, like, maybe Die Hard? And nobody will probably put two and two together well. This motherfucker did. Anyway, I love Lost in Limbo. At, as of right now, and I think, now I'm thinking about the other tracks on this album, I think this is the best track on the album. Bill? Um... Well, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm going to have to listen to that horrible song to see the correlation there between this one. Yeah. I think it's a cool, oddball song. I just took a bong hit, so I'm kind of lost in limbo right now. Um, <laughs> is it a drug reference? I think a little bit. The song is kind of different than all the rest of the album. I'm with you, Dr. Fuck. I fucking like the song, man, and it is a grower. It's not one of those songs you hear instantly and bam, I love it. You know, it's yeah. like... As the years go on, I mean, rediscovering the album the last few days, it's like, yeah, man, I get this. This is a badass song, and I'd love it, and I give it four out of five. All right. Uh, Ian? Uh, I love it. I don't know if it's a drug song. I thought he was talking about, like, the whole band's doing the limbo and, and Ace lost. <laughs> like, I lost in limbo. You know, and I get that, because if you're yeah. fucked up, you're just going to fall on your ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love this song, and this is one... 
that I always liked, but listening to the album today, getting ready for the review, I had even more of an appreciation for, and especially the guitar work, and not just the solo, but throughout the song. This is one he wrote with Richie Scarlett. Right. Um, man, just just a killer track, and this totally backs up why I think why I think this album has held up way more than Fraley's Comet or, or Second Siding, or you know, definitely what he's done afterwards. Uh, is because of tracks like this that makes it a really solid album. Uh, absolutely love this, man. And uh, I've never seen a solo. Man, I would love to. And if he opened up with this, uh, I'd be fucking ecstatic, man, because this is a great uh, rocker that more people need to hear. More people need to hear this album because, you know, you know, like Ralph brought up, you know, a lot of people got the first one because, hey, Ace is back and he told you so. Go out and buy it. And... You know, I also think there's a good amount of people that were disappointed by that, too, who, you know, didn't show up for Second Siding. Because I'll tell you what, Second Siding, the, the first single was insane, which I think is one of the best Ace songs ever, ever to, to this day. Okay, but still people didn't buy it. You know, and then the ones who did, didn't like the more commercial direction. So by the time this came out, not only was it poorly promoted... Uh, and he wasn't on name tours like you know the, the first couple ones. He was opened up for you know Iron Maiden and some other you know bigger shows. And by this point, like I said, I didn't even know he did a tour. And if he did, obviously it was a club tour. Um, so a lot of people might not know this. And it it did go out of print, but luckily Rock Candy Records reissued this uh, in 2014. Uh, it's an English record label that re uh, re releases a lot of. 70s and 80s classics that have gone out of print. Uh, so, you know, if you live in Europe, you can definitely get it. Even if you live in the States, you can still get it on import. Uh, but this is a prime example why people need to go back and, and check out this. If you never heard it, go get it. If you had it, but you forgot about it, go get it again. I love the fact that I'm looking at my original copy that I bought right now. And it, it, it's so funny because like, the case is thicker than most CDs. Um, the booklet's thicker. Like, remember, CDs were, like, really... They, they were made a lot better initially. And then as time went on, the cases got thinner. Uh, they, they didn't last as long because they were more mass-produced. But back at this time, man, it was still... It, it held up, and I'm so proud to have this original one, even though, like, some of the shit's turned a little bit yellow. But this is the same shit I bought in 1989, and... Uh, Still love this album. All right, so, uh, Bill, what do you think of... I don't even know what song we're talking about. The title track. Oh, okay. Trouble right. oh, oh. Yeah, you did Lost in Limbo, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, Trouble Walking. Um, well, I'm going to be honest. It's one of those songs. It's, it's not great. I don't really like the whoa, whoa sort of thing, but I never liked that in any song, with the exception of maybe... I love it loud, and they go, hey. <laughs> but uh, it's, um, you know, it's okay. There are certain elements of the song that I can dig and whatnot, but it's a two out of five. I mean, I'm going to say two out of five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am in complete agreement with you. I cannot stand that Bon Jovi, whoa, whoa, whoa bullshit. Now, <laughs> right. I, I love it loud. It's, hey, hey, hey. Now, that's right. Crazy. That's Hey! Where that one's more like, whoa. You know, it's like, I, you know what I'm saying? It's not, 
Yes, maybe, I do. You know, maybe if it was, I am trouble walking. Hey! Ah! Hey! 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 I'm trouble. Then I'd like it. But that's the one element yeah. I can't stand about that song. That whoa bullshit. Yep. And I'm surprised this wasn't the fucking single. It would have destroyed the album either way, but... Because this sounds like of the time, the Bon Jovi's, the New Jersey, the... This this is definitely of that time, and um, yep. and it's like, come on, uh, I'm trouble walking. No, Ace, you have trouble walking. You know, you fall all the time. You know, you're, every another nightmare. No, it's more like uh, you're not you're, you're not a scary dude. You're a funny guy. You know, so it doesn't really it doesn't really match his persona either. You know, I guess he's trouble walking to Gene and Paul. That's about it. Cause he's like pissing yeah. on their band, but other than that, he's not like, you know, you're not. You, I don't know, man. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of this song purely for that whoa whoa part. That's the one part that kills it for me. Who's, uh, drum, who's drumming into their phone? Not me. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not on my no. phone. Oh, or I mean, on the mic. That was that was directed to me. I'm not. Oh, okay. No, I just asked. I didn't. Know. Okay, well, anyway, Ian, what do you think of this? Uh, well, I had, right before uh, Wang started talking, I already had to piss real bad. And then when I heard him hating on this, I had to go throw up, too. Because <laughs> this is my favorite song on the fucking album. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, think, I think it's fucking awesome. I totally think this should have been the single. And this would have done way better. It is, it is much more catchier than Do You. Uh, I love the guitar on this. I mean, you guys are bitching about the whoa whoa, but all I think about is that squeal on the fucking guitar he does when it goes into the chorus. That I that is to me is ace through and through. I think this would have done much better with this as a single. Absolutely, my favorite track on the fucking album. And it figures a couple guys who, who think Odyssey is a great tune would not appreciate the genius that is Trouble Walk. That is true. Uh -huh. He is right, Bill. He is the superior one. All hell. Yeah, of course he is. All hell. The god of Wad. Yeah. All hell the Wadzilla. Awesome. Yeah. All right. On a far off galaxy. All right. Anyway. Hey, uh, hey yeah. Ian. Uh, you remind me of a child in the sundress. <laughs> What's the next song? The next song is Too Young to Die. All right. Take that one. All right, well, this, like the song before it, are two songs that feature Peter Chris on background vocals. And uh, this was something I was really disappointed in. Uh, when I opened up the album and saw Peter Chris was on this, I was like, oh, shit. This is going to be awesome. Peter Chris is on it. This is like just as much Kiss as Kiss is now. No. Uh, Peter just does background vocals and is credited with percussion, which I don't know if he's got a tambourine or a xylophone or what the fuck he's doing, but he sure as fuck ain't drumming. Because <laughs> that's all Anton. And, and and at this time, it's probably a better thing than it was Anton drumming. Um, this is a good uh, a Richie Rocker. This is Richie Scarlet singing on this one on lead vocal. And uh, also uh, Skid Row. Well, three guys from Skid Row are on this. It's uh, Sebastian... Um, Rachel Bolin and Dave Sabo did uh, background vocals. And uh, yeah, just a good rocker. 
And it's the only one that has, you know, somebody other than Ace doing the lead vocal. But, man, I think Richie Scarlett, as much as I love the Todd Howard shit, and I really do, uh, Richie Scarlett's voice is way more rock and roll and way more of what I think Ace's solo albums should be. So this fits perfect with that. And I love this song. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, uh, I agree with you. As uh, It's a grittier voice. More rocking voice. I can just imagine if this could have been uh, on Fraley's Comedy. And I love Todd Howard. Don't get me wrong. I think he did a great job on on the Fraley's Comet uh, solo album. But, man, I've seen video of Richie doing a uh, breakout, and I prefer him. His voice. It's more... Yeah, it's more... It, it fits more Ace's music than Todd did. Todd fit perfectly on on uh, Second Sighting. I can't see Richie sing those songs. No. No, not a style at all. He's, he's no. a rock. And this song rocks. It is a rocking tune. Uh, Richie went on to join Sebastian Bach's solo band, and they would play this song uh, live. Uh, nice. Yeah, they, you know, Sebastian would take a break during his set, and Richie would uh, throw out. They would throw out this tune. Uh, I love it. I love the guitar play, and I love the drum work. It's a uh, it's a hard rock song, man. It's, it's a great fucking song. I I digs it. Uh, Bill? I love this fucking song. Richie fucking shines. And it got me thinking, there, and I sincerely don't have this on my notes, but I love the drumming. It's got a great drum sound. And I'm thinking, is this the song or one of the songs that the dude from Riot plays on? I well, don't know. I don't uh, know the answer. San, Sandy Slavin, who's the drummer Sandy. of Riot, he's yeah. the guy that you see in, uh, in the Do Ya video. But uh, oh. I'm not sure if he played on the album. I think it's all Anton, but I could be wrong. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, I, I love the song. It's fucking like you were saying. It's hard, heavy, dirty. I give it four out of five. I love it. It's a cool song. All right. Uh, take the next one, Bill. All right. It is Back to School. Oh, my God. I fucking despise this fucking song. Um <laughs> I really do, man. I, you know me. I love Ace, as you both do. Uh, it's definitely not one of my favorites. Um, Ace is on it. That's all I can say. And I just don't like it. I don't like the structure. I don't like the, just the lyrics. I don't like the, just the vibe of the song. And I'm going to give it one out of five chops. All right, Ian? All right. Well, it's good to see Wayne come to his senses because he scares me when he's sober. But uh, I think the beer must be kicking in because we are agreeing on this piece of shit. Um, and, and just just so you know, Wang, uh, the song that Sandy uh, Slavin plays on is uh, Trouble Walking. All, oh, okay. all other drums are anti-fig. Uh, all right. Yeah, this is another one that has Peter Chris on background vocals. And uh, this sounds like it should have been on a Peter Chris solo album because it sucks. Uh, yeah, this, this, this is total filler. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, oh, you know, and it was written with Ace and John Regan, who I have a lot of respect for John Regan. Uh, yeah, real, me too. Real nice guy. Uh, but, man, this song is just not there. Uh, to total fucking filler. Uh, yeah, that's about all I got to say. Uh, Ralph probably thinks it's the best track. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. No, no, no. And you know me, dude. I'm not here to fucking agree with you guys and shit. Because that's not my style, so... But I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I, I never liked this song. I think it, it, it sounds like something off fucking uh, Second Sighting. Juvenile, Delinquent, the same vibe, same crap. 
Um, something neither of you uh, mentioned, you can clearly hear Sebastian Bach singing in the, in the chorus. Oh, yeah, I had it in my notes and forgot to mention it. Yeah, and uh, I thought when you were talking about uh, whatever song, what, Trouble Walking, that featured Skid Row guys, I thought it was this tune, not Trouble yeah, Walking. Yeah, no, yeah, no, they're on the, uh, it's uh, Trouble Walking, uh, well, this is what Peter Chris is on. Uh, Trouble Walking, Too Young to Die, and Back to School. Uh, well, I'm talking about the Skid Row guys. They're, I, I just thought they were on this track, not that other one. Oh, could be. Could be the exact notes that I have are from Peter Chris, but yeah, you you can definitely tell it's Sebastian on this one. Yeah, you can hear him screaming "Yeah!" during the verses. Yeah, it's a throwaway track. Uh, terrible. I never, ever, ever liked this song. If, and, if if you listen closely, you can hear Sebastian like real subliminal. It's like, "Hey, you're gonna be on an Ace Frehley album," and he's like, "Yeah!" And they're like, "You're singing on Back to School," and you can hear him go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And, yeah, just the thought of going back to school. Have you guys ever had those dreams when you're back in school? Yes. They're like nightmares, man. So I guess uh, it does fit the motif uh, of, of the, the subject matter. It would suck to go back to school. Therefore, let's write a song that sucks about going back to school. Anyway, so is the next track Remember Me? Yes, it is. Yes. All right. I, I want to take this one. Okay. I fucking love this one. This one goes back to the demo days. I, I believe it may be the only song uh, that's pre Fraley's comic uh, that's on this album. Uh, oh my god, this is such a killer. Killer, bluesy, fake live sound uh, added to it, which I don't like. I think it should have been complete studio work because I think the, the live sound kind of takes a little bit away from it. Like, what does he say? He goes, hey, welcome to the uh, Club Cafe in Paris, France, or some shit. I'm like, right. no, no, dude, you're in a studio in America somewhere. But I love it, though. I love the lyrics. It's about, you know, the space. You know, people, people fucking bitch about Ace Fraley only singing about space these days. But he did it back then, too. Here's a prime example. You know, this is a total song about his space travel and... You know, it's a kind of autobiographical in a science fiction type way with a blues riff, with a great guitar solo. This would be my third favorite track right behind um, Lost in Limbo, Shop Full of Rock, then this one. Standout track, love it. What do you think, Ian? Um, this is one initially I didn't care for that much, but now I love it. Uh, listening to it today, I was like, wow, I... I really do like that, but I even put on my notes that I didn't like how they added the live shit. You know, you know, you know the fake live. I think that did take away from it. You were absolutely right. And th this is an older song because uh, he wrote this back in 1981 when they were doing The Elder. And he's like, hey, hey, remember me? Can we make this shit rock <laughs> instead of this fucking shit? Uh, but no, I, I like it. it. It's weird to hear Ace do like a like a bluesy thing. Like, uh, you know, he's it, the... By the time you hear this, his new covers album will be out. And he's doing some bluesy stuff on that, which I'm interested to hear because I don't associate Ace with the blues. And, and to me, this is an anomaly, no pun intended, uh, hearing him play like this. But I really like the song. I was listening today. I just kept bobbing my head. I'm like, this is pretty fucking cool. Just take away that fake live shit and it would have been a stronger number. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on that, Ralph. And, what do you, you know, think? he plays the blues really good, man. 
Yeah, it's, it's not bad at all. It's not like that preconceived a Richie Richie Sambora, Richie Samboring trying to be blues, trying so hard. <laughs> where Ace is just like winging it, and that's how you play the blues from pure emotion and feeling. And if Ace wanted to, he could do so. He could do a whole blues album that I probably would dig. Unlike Gary Moore, God bless him. I love Gary Moore, but I'd rather see hear Ace do the blues because. To me, this song is very organic. It's very like no pre-judgment, no pre-thoughts. Let's just go in there, play a blues riff, and just rock. And I think it delivers 100%. What do you think, Bill? Um, yeah, I know the, the aspect of adding uh, the crowd, you know, recording the song in the studio and then adding the crowd, that's kind of weak. And you know what? I have to be honest. I'm not. I've never been a traditional blues guy. I don't like the blues. Sure, I like hard rock blues, like Zeppelin or whatever. But I've never. I just don't get the blues thing. It's just sort of boring and re repetitive in in a way. And uh, it, it's a it's a decent song. You know, it's a decent song. And um, I'm gonna give it two out of five. Ooh, ow! All right. Well, take the last one, Bill. All right. Um, Fractured Three. Fractured Three. I mean, what can you say? It's an instrumental that ends an Ace solo album. That's pretty cool. Obviously not the original. There were 78 original forever be, you know, in my brain is epic. Um, it's a cool song. It's a cool song. Um, I like it, and I'm going to give it three out of five. All right, Ian. All right. Uh, my opinion differs because I think this is the best Ace Fraley instrumental. Wow. I, I like this one even better than uh, the original Fractured, which I think, uh, you know, if you heard the, the the Ace tribute album, I think Dimebag's version killed Ace's original. I mean, I still like the one on the 78, but, you know, Dimebag killed it. But if you're talking as far as Ace playing guitar, this is my favorite Ace instrumental of all time. And uh, the last one I really cared about, the last two that he did, I really did nothing for me. But this one, there's just a, a cool, spacey, no pun intended, vibe to it. I really, really enjoy this one. This is one, I would I would just throw this on. You know, where the other ones, like, I have to be listening to the album to, to hear that song. But this one, I would just pick this out and play it. Because, I don't know, it's just got something I love about it. I think probably the longest one he ever did, or one of them, it's like 6 minutes and 48 seconds. But it never bores me. It never loses me. And a lot of... Ace's uh, instrumentals do, but this one doesn't at all. What do you think, Ralph? Um, I love it, um, but I would I would actually put um, the first one, second one before it. I, I I guess I like them in order. Even I like wow. even Acorn is spinning. Well, I well actually uh, to be fair, I would say Acorn is spinning is my second favorite. First being Fractured One, Fractured Mirror, Acorn spinning, Fractured Two. And then Fracture 3. I didn't like Fracture 4. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I, I didn't dig that. The one, the, that's the one on Anomaly, right? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, like yeah, that. that that's the only Fractured I didn't like. But, yeah, I do dig this one. I would just put those other three before it. Uh, but it, it's good. Uh, I believe that's all ace on this. All bass and everything, right? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe it breaks it down like that. But, uh... I, lo I love the bass riffage that's going on during the song because it's very predominant in the beginning and during. Uh, it it, says, it, it, it uh, credits John Regan with bass synth effects on Fractured 3. Okay. 
So I don't know who's playing the actual bass. Like it doesn't break it down song for song. All it says is, uh, yeah, it breaks down. Sandy Slavin only plays on Trouble Walking. The rest it just credits the band, and then when it lists like the people singing, uh, it just says special guest, and again doesn't go to uh, specifics. And, and, an, and another ver uh, person we forgot to mention that sings background vocals on this is Pepe Castro. And Pepe Castro was a co-writer on one of the songs off of uh, Unmasked. And I want to say it was Naked City, maybe? But uh, that, that that's a name that I've never seen since Unmasked until this sound came up. Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. I did not know that. There you go. All right, so uh, we're done with the review. You want any uh, notes there, Ian, about it? All right. Well, um, this... This came out, and I put a question mark next to this because Wikipedia said it came out August, I mean, not August, October 13, 89, and it said Hot in the Shade came out, August, I mean, uh, October 17th, but I do believe Hot in the Shade came out a week before. Either way, it came out in October of 89. It was produced by Ace Fraley, John Regan, and the return of Eddie Kramer, and it, you know, it's a return of Hard Rock Ace, but apparently nobody cared because it only made it to 102 on the Billboard charts and quickly fell off after that. Uh, one nice thing I would like to mention is I am thanked in the liner notes and Gordon Gilbert is not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do, do any of you have your copy of this right in front of you? No. And I, I don't have, I have the original one, not, not the read. The one. Yeah, I, I don't either. Like I said, I have my original. And if you if you look in the thank yous, it says uh, thanks to Ian and everyone at Bearsville Studio. So he thanked me, and I looked all through this motherfucker. I'm like, I don't see Gordon Gilbert Grape the Fourth, but uh, I do see Ian. So thank you, Ace. Awesome. And, and you see, I, and you were you were bitching about your five bucks. Yeah, I know. Well, this is this is worth my five bucks. And if, if you look in here, if, if you look in the booklet, the last page shows a bunch of pictures and everybody. It's funny. It shows a picture of Anton Fig, but it's from the photo shoot for the first Fraley's Comet album. I do remember that. And there's a yeah. picture of uh, Peter Chris with blonde hair, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's ter crazy. Terrible. There, there's two pictures. And, yes, I, I remember I remember opening up. And I was like, who the fuck is that? And then... You know, in the top one, you can see, you know, the tattoo that lets, you know, the drum with the lightning bolt that lets you know it's Peter Chris. I was like, why in the fuck did he do that? You know, it's like, oh, my God, it looks so bad. And there's a couple cool pictures of Eddie Kramer and shit like that. And, you know, Regan and Richie Scarlet. Um, but, oh, my God, did Peter look bad. And the last thank you, which I always thought was kind of lame. He says, dear Peter. Thanks a million for everything. You're still the greatest. Love Ace. You know, it's the signature solo. But it's like, if Peter was still the greatest, how come Peter Chris didn't play drums on this? Yeah. yeah. And you know, Peter Chris <laughs> bitched about that too. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it should be noted that, well, I'm sure Ace does love Peter. He doesn't hold Peter in high regard. And he was more than happy to play and kiss without Peter Chris. And uh, I don't think he thinks a lot of his drumming because you never really see him go out of his way to to have Peter Chris on shit. You know, I think he was more of a you know a drinking buddy and a drug buddy than somebody that he looked to as a companion musically. 
Uh, but man, w when I saw this shit, I was really hoping to hear like that classic Peter Chris drumming, which which I, I do love. I do, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's not a technician is is Peter Chris, but I still love it. Same way Ace. I mean, there's a million guitar players that can can do Ace, but you don't have that feel. The same way a lot of drummers don't have that old feel that Peter Chris had. But at this time, I, I really believe that Peter's drumming probably really diminished. And that's why he doesn't, you know, really drum on this album. You can, yeah, a lot of guitar players can imitate Ace, but they can't write a solo like Ace. Well, well I, I, you know, and I've said this a million times, and it fucking, oh, it, it breaks my fucking heart. But until I found out, um, one of my favorite Ace solos of all time, of all time, was larger than life. And when I found out that wasn't Ace, I was like, motherfucker! Mm. You know, because I put that, you know, with strange ways there. I love larger than life. When I found out it was Bob Kulik, I was so fucking mad because you want to talk about a guy who's a fucking bitch in fucking interviews and trashes Ace nonstop. It's fucking uh, Bob Kulik. I heard an interview with him recently. He said, you know, Ace Fraley's like Jimmy Page sloppy and I'm like Jimmy Page clean. Oh, on Eddie Trunk, Ralph, right? The I, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard that too. And I said my reaction exactly. I said, shut the fuck up, you mustache ball motherfucker. Right, right. But, but be honest, before you knew, you know, and even now you have to admit that solo on Larger Than Life sounds like Ace. I mean, that's totally like, you know, he's copping Ace's style. But right, man, that was the instructions in, in 77. Oh, oh, sounded oh, like Ace. Yeah, but, but it sounded great. But I was so disappointed. You know, that's one thing about Kiss that really pisses me off. The way they lied to everybody about shit. Like, yeah, you know, I, I agree with I, that. I, I, I fell for it on that one. I didn't fall for that shit on Psycho Circus. Yeah, and, but, then, uh, and then there's that there's that infamous story where when Bob Kulik did that solo for uh, Larger Than Life, Ace Frehley was actually in the studio. And Bob Kulik yeah, walked yeah. out, and Ace Frehley said to him, "So how'd I do?" And Bob right. Kulik said, yeah. "It's the best. <laughs> it's, it's the best you ever sounded." Right. I know. It's like shut it's up. It's like shut up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to disagree with you, Ian, but I'll take Rocket Ride solo way over that any day, and I'll take a million other Ace Frehley solos. Shock me, even Dark Light and fucking Strange Ways and Making Love. Fuck that! All those souls smoke yeah. fucking Doctor Love, Doctor Love, Love Gun. Those souls smoke. Yeah. You see the thing about All American Man, and I'm not discounting we're not, it. Not, oh, we're, we're talking about Larger Than Life. I mean, Larger All Than American. Life. The thing about Larger Than Life, it is a great solo. It's awesome, but it. I'm sorry, dude. You comp you compare it to like all these other souls. It's missing that charm, because what Bob Kulik was doing was trying to imitate Ace. When Ace does it, he ain't imitating nobody. He's just being himself. So there's no, a I big difference. And I think it shows in that solo compared to, you know, making love and stuff like that. I mean, hey, but that's just a personal opinion. I'm not discounting you, but I'm just saying that's what I get out of that solo. I love the solo, but if I'm going to compare to other Ace solos, uh, most Ace solos I think are better. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I, I love it, and I was completely fooled. If it was Ace, I think it would have been a better solo. It, it, it might have been, but I'm, I, you know, I, I cannot tell a lie. Uh, I, I thought it was Ace, and I stand by it. I still love it. Uh, but yeah, if you know, I listen to fucking psycho fucking shit house. Yeah, I know that's not Ace. 
Because it, it's like them not even trying to sound like Ace. Right. You know? Um, you know, and, and, and Ace can only do Ace. <laughs> you know, Ace can't do anybody else but him. And I love that. And that's why he has that signature fucking sound that I will take over a technician any day. Because yeah, where Bob Kulik sounds like Bruce Kulik. You know what I mean? Yeah, Bob, Bob Kulik sounds like whoever you want him to do. And that's exactly. why... And Whoever you're going to pay him to sound like. <laughs> exactly. He's a technician, but he has no heart and soul. And that's probably why he got passed over in the first place. Not just the, right. bald, not just the bald head. But hey, you, you know, you sound like you, you sound like the guy from Brownsville Station, you know, where Ace came in and sounded original. like an original. Exactly. Original. Exactly. So yep. there you go. All right. Well, that's our review. Now it's time to go into Pick of the Week. And Bill Wang, are you drunk yet? Uh, no, I'm not. But um, <laughs> I got a couple down, though. Hey, before I forget, I want to give a shout out to my brother, Scott Cameron, who is um, going through some issues right now, and he's strong as fuck, and uh, I just want to say, me and Gina love you, brother. Stay strong, man. Stay strong. He's a big fan of the show. Big fan. He's on you guys' page. Loves Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Loves Dr. Fuck's videos, Almost Human. Loves Wadzilla. You know, loves you guys. Pick of the week. Yeah. um, I want to give a... uh, this pick of the week, I'm going to dedicate to my woman, Gina Elizabeth. Uh, on uh, her Boston bad boy, the Screaming Demon's birthday, Steven Tyler, I want to give pick of the week the 1978, I think, live album, Aerosmith Live Bootleg. Yes. Yeah, good one. Yeah. It's one of those rare... Pick of the week. And, and, and Live Bootleg... To me, it's one of those rare live albums that is 100% live and I like. Because oh, I don't yeah. I don't like 100% live albums. There's rare exceptions, right. and live bootlegs one of them, where you hear the firecrackers and shit in the audience. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. I love Chip Away at the Sh- Stone on that album, and Racks in the yeah, Cellar. Yeah, hell yeah. Fucking badass. Uh, Ian, what's your pick? Badass. I don't, I don't have one yet. Okay. Uh, well, mine is another live album that's... 100% live. Uh, and, and, and that's Kiss a Life for the Symphony album. Because all those overdubs were done live in the studio. <laughs> and, uh, and all those Peter Chris fuck ups were covered up live in front of the engineer. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That Man, you talk sucks. about an album that's not worth revisiting. You know? Woo! God damn that. You know, I would do it just a goof on it, but that would be painful to listen to again. Yeah, it would be Okay, actually, uh, my live album, I mean live album, uh, my pick of the week uh, does kind of have a Kiss connection because the guy who, he didn't produce it, but he sequenced the album. Uh, and that's Bob Ezrin, and the album is The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, it is my favorite Nine Inch Nails album. I, I truly believe it is a masterpiece. Uh, I think it's an incredible uh dark album that when it came out it didn't do as well as their previous albums because it was so different but this is one that you know on repeated listings and you listen to it uh, I just think it's a masterpiece and I thought it was great that he had Bob Ezrin involved and this is one of the fewer cases uh, in the last 20 years where I think Bob Ezrin did anything that was worth this shit because he's done a lot of shit recently like I listened to it and I think like you just lost your edge man you know 
Uh, but I, I think he, he added something to this that was uh, that you can't deny. And even if you don't like Nine Inch Nails, I recommend this album, The Fragile. Check awesome out. album. Awesome album. Saw the tour in Marilyn Manson opened up, actually. Nice. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Dark as fuck. Yeah. All right, my uh, pick of the week is the second solo album from Wendy O. Williams. It was called Commander of Chaos. Uh, very overlooked, very heavy metal. Uh, Fuck That Booty is a great song on that. Work That Muscle. And you want your song? I just love hearing you say, Fuck That Booty. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny about that song? It was played live on the Joan Rivers show, unedited. Oh, my God. You can see it. Uh, type up Wendy O. Williams on the Joan Rivers show, and she played, ended the show with <laughs> fuck that booty, work that muscle, and she played it live on Censored. And, you know, she's got this fucking voice. You can't tell what she's saying. But, yeah, they didn't edit it because they had no idea. <laughs> but, uh, oh, what a slamming album. Just, I mean, the album, like, you listen to the album, and it matches the album cover so well because the album cover is a car that's crashed through a wall and Wendy's on the fucking hood. <laughs> and and her pants are painted on. That she's actually naked. It looks like she's wearing oh. leather pants, but that's that that's painted on her. It's actually painted on her. Uh love it. That's my pick of the week. Commander of Chaos. I'm listening to that tonight, Ralph. I'm gonna listen to that tonight. It's very heavy metal. It's it's it it's cool. kinda like, right it's, on. It's kind of like uh, the pro- the progression of the Wow album, uh, but a little more heavier, a little more Motorhead than the Wow. The Wow album was was Kiss. It was basically a Kiss album. Right. Where the, uh, this right. one is more, and she does Jailbait from uh, Motorhead on it, and uh, it's a great fucking album. That's my pick of the week. All right, now we get to the part that I gotta do every week. The Facebook page is a family everybody is so interactive on that and it is it's one of the wildest sites on the fucking internet it's fucking amazing if you're not on our facebook page join all you got to do is send a request we'll let you in and uh you know then it's up to you to make the most of it also go on itunes we're available on iTunes. If you're there, leave a review. Since I've started reading all these reviews on iTunes, we've been getting a lot more. I guess people like to hear their shit being read, and we will read it. So please go on iTunes, subscribe to us, leave a review. Very important. Of course, you can check us out on our home on Podbean. And when you go on the Podbean page, there's links to all kinds of amazing shit, like the Facebook page, like the Amazon page, like the Thrasher Die page, like the Combat page, uh, that Metal Station, the Indie Authority, all this shit you can find on the Podbean page. But most importantly, we're talking about that Amazon page. Get on there, give daddy some money. Ain't gonna cost you a penny more and you get what you already want. Check us out on that MetalStation.com where you can hear us Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And Thursdays, our times changed on Thursdays. I believe we're on now at 6 p.m. Eastern. Also check out Mike Tyler's two amazing shows, one on Tuesday and one on Friday, and uh, directly inspired by our show, and I couldn't be more proud of them. Also check out The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. And now we'll mention some other podcasts that are friends of ours that promote us and we promote them. Ear Pillar. 
the podcasting and interview news site to keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear. Go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. All right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting podcast. The Kiss Audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your podcast. Every month, the podcast crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ray Fraley, and you're listening to Podcast. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podcast. The Podcast, the Kiss Audio fanzine for your ears. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... Then you'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. Have you developed paralysis from trying to choose a movie on Netflix? Of course you have. There's too much garbage on Netflix to sift through. So join us on our podcast, We Watched It For You. We watch a bad movie every week and try to determine its watchability. We Watched It For You is for bad movie fans, B-movie fans, underground film fans, and cult movie fanatics alike. Don't miss an episode of We Watched It For You, a guide to the lesser-known movies of Netflix, available on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Hey, 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 it's me, Bill Wang. Make sure you listen to The Dr. Fox Show, Thursdays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, the replay, Sundays, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ThatMetalStation.com. Bam! Hello, this is Lee Gerstman, and I listen to a show called Wadzilla Rock. It's on a station called ThatMetalStation.com. I love the show. Ian Wadley does music heavy rock from when I was younger up until now. And he's got an extensive bunch of cool shit that he plays. And I love humping my dog in memory to those tunes. Check it out. On Saturdays, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That is Wadzilla Rock on thatmetalstation.com. All right. Well, if you enjoyed that Bill Wang-licious episode, and we know you did, 
Come back next week. We have a returning guest. Oh, yeah? Yeah. TV's Columbo, Peter Falk. He was here before? Yeah, and he said, just one more thing. And he said, I want to do Dream Theater. And he wants to do Systematic Chaos. <laughs> he said he loves the album, but he has some issues with the production. But we're going to get into that next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Diddle, 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 take it, Bill. Diddle, <laughs> Bam. Bam, bam. <laughs> bam, bam.